Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 270, recorded at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. This show is made possible by Ivor Isis Herbals at the Real Herb Market. Tanya adapts ancient herbal wisdom to our modern area with creativity and joy you can feel. When you try an Ivory Isis herbal product, the magic within stirs harmoniously. It's a must-try experience. Find them at therealherbmarket.com slash shop slash ivory dash isis dash herbals. Silver Creek Springs at the Real Herb Market. Ethically wild-crafted and lovingly grown botanicals rooted in practical experience are the core of Lisa's potent herbal line at Silver Creek Springs. Find them at therealherbmarket.com slash shop slash silver dash creek dash springs. What happens when you let go and let the plants show you the path? Ooh, organic, sustainable, local, healthy, earth-centered living. It's hard to go wrong when you follow the calling, but the path may be rocky, and at times, even then, the plants will provide. Today we're talking with Elise and Jeff Higley of Shala Farm about following the plants into the farm and beyond. Now here are your hosts. I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Welcome, Elise and Jeff. It is so wonderful to see you today, or hear you, really. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank Happy you. to be here. I have to tell you, the first time I heard uh, about your farm was probably late. I probably should have heard about it earlier, but it was from Howie Brownstein and Christina Sanchez, and they were both raving about what an incredible farm you guys have. Oh, we love them. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't they pay them. <laughs> That's a Howie joke. <laughs> he's, he's such a wonderful man. Oh, yeah. One of the things that Christina really pointed out was the care that you guys give to the land and to all of the plants. Um, almost, she didn't say as if you they're your children, but that's the way she said you treat them with such tenderness and such care and such focus. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk with you a little bit about how the heck did you get to that point did you were you guys born into farming and agriculture and herbalism or not yeah well i can go part of it (laughs) so yeah um well my grandpa was a farmer but that was in arkansas and before i didn't know about that actually until i got into farming my great-grandfather apples but um and my grandma in the orange orchards in california But that wasn't why I got into farming. I got into farming just because the herbs kind of ended up drying us there. Um, For me, I just was really looking to start a herbal tea line. And I really, really wanted to be connected with who was growing the plants. And I was excited about finding some places that I thought were growing the herbs. And when I went to source them and finding out more about the exact origin of where they were growing, I realized I was actually dealing with distributors. Mm -hmm. And then um, I thought, well, this just is crazy because these are herbs that grow around us and near us. You know, why are these being imported from all parts of the world? So kind of coerced this guy, Jeff, uh, Mm -hmm. next to me right now into uh, farming more herbs instead of vegetables. And so, um, yeah, in 2013, we... got the opportunity to store the land that we're on in Southern Oregon in Applegate. It's 140 acres now. And um, we uh, started, you know, vegetable growing and adding the herbs in there. And um, yeah, we just kind of the herbs, the herbs took over. <laughs> so, 
we kind of, we, we were joking always that, you know, the herbs kind of just some, somehow one day we looked at each other not that long into it. And we're like, how did this happen? Like, how are we in fields and acres of medicinal herbs? Like what, what happened to our life? So, um, yeah. yeah. And I didn't come from a farming background at all. I mean, we grew up in Southern California my mom was an avid gardener, but um, she'd be the first to say that I was the last person to help. Garden. Um, but, you know, in my late teens, I really got inspired to start growing my own food and that slowly evolved into wanting to farm more and more. And um, through several other, you know, careers, I, you know, said to Elise, I really want to do more farming. And it, it eventually what led us to Oregon really is the search for more land and, and better water. And, um, you know, the rest kind of just fell into place. Yeah. Is, so evolution. Is it harder to farm vegetables or harder to farm herbs? Hmm. So I know in my garden the vegetables don't do well at all, and the yeah. herbs are pretty happy. So. Well, vegetables are definitely challenging. I mean, um, you know, a you're selling stuff fresh, so it's a yeah. very short shelf life. Um, you know, and I think you know in general herbs are fairly resilient. Um, and for us too, there's a lot more predation on uh, vegetable crops. So, you know, we didn't have to put up a deer fence to grow a lot of the herbs we were growing, but, you know, all of our lettuces would be getting just it ripe and then the deer would come in and eat a bite <laughs> off of each head of lettuce uh, along the row. And yeah. like, can't you just eat one? <laughs> Sample them all. Um, so there's definitely challenges, but I mean, one of the challenges, I guess, that makes herb farming, you know, farming, you know, for a living versus growing um, on small scale, just you don't have the um, yield data and you don't have a lot of the, you know, support that you can, you have in the vegetable growing industry, right? You have yeah. farmers, so many farmers that have trialed things and you can, you have data you can look up to see how much per acre you can get. You know, you have many plants, you have to plant to get so many pounds of tomatoes or whatever it is. Yeah. But you don't have that so much in small-scale farming of herbs here yeah. in the U.S. So that's that's challenging. Yeah, and vegetables are so much support from the, the state university systems. You know, you yeah. can look up from OSU and get specific varietal information and, and all sorts of stuff through trialing and, and breeding and all this stuff. Whereas herbs, sometimes we can't even source the seed that we're looking for. You wow. know, we buy everything worldwide that we could find. And it's like, well, it's one 50th of what we need and we're gonna you know breed and yeah. and slowly evolve till we have enough uh, genetic material to grow it so that's definitely been a challenge so you have to propagate your own kind of thing so you get enough seed for a specific herb yeah lots of times we'll get requests for a specific crop and we'll be excited about it we'll go out and we can't find any seed and then you know, we, we can come back and go, well, we can get this much. And then I think over two or three years, we'll be able to produce enough seed or enough material mm -hmm. to actually grow the amounts you need. Um, it's kind of changed over the years. We definitely have a larger focus on saving seed and ourselves. Yeah, and it's been critical. I mean, herb seed's expensive. A seed in general is expensive. And, you know, we save probably 95, 97% of our seed at this point, um, which is, you know, made a big difference in just a lot of factors and just being able to produce profitably is really important in how we select seed and what uh, specific varieties we're going after and you know that do they have the right constituent content and 
there's a lot of dynamics in herbs. Um, and me not being the herbalist, uh, <laughs> we'd get phone calls and I'd be like, how do you spell that? I, you know, I've never, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me look it up, you know, and I'll, I'll get back to you. Uh, so there was a big learning curve there for sure. That's interesting that I never would have thought of um, a lack of, of material because, you know, you walk out in the forest, there's, you know, herbs, herbs everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess in a commercial sense, that changes the, the, the dynamic. Yeah, um, exactly. And honestly, that's how we started, too, is like when I looked around our farm, I was like, well, there's yarrow and there's plantain. And, you know, if they're growing here wild, I could probably grow them. So why don't we start trying yeah. to find people that will buy those, you know? And that was kind of my first foray into like trying to grow stuff on a commercial scale was, well, what's growing wild around here without any help? And yeah. how do I help those along? <laughs> and then we slowly start adding more and more crops in. Now we have about 80. So, wow. wow. On 140 acres? That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. So do you find you have to make um, separate growing environments for the different herbs? like? yarrow yeah, versus plantain versus so it's not like a big vegetable farm where you just here you go <laughs> uh, and we were definitely looking at the inherent nature of each plant you know some things you know like it wetter or they like more shade or you know there's yeah. things that like rockier soils or you know more just that heat to to really become ripe. so we're really looking at where does that plant grow naturally and where how can we mimic that on the farm you know based on different locations within the fields and and just how we can work them, you know, mm. uh, work with them, I guess is really a better way to say it. And I suppose the other part of it is, is you can't really um, mechanize the whole system, can you? So you're really a lot of hands-on. It's a fine balance, yeah. We do a lot of hand harvesting, a lot of hand planting, and then we try and implement and mechanize in ways that we can, especially with heavy lifting. That um, makes sense. Because... Also, you know, in the end, people don't want to pay that much for their herbs. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we are, you know, we're looking at, you know, global prices and also, you know, just like food, people want to have, you know, don't want to pay a lot, basically. And so we also want people to consume as much as possible of herbs, right? We don't want them, you know, cherishing this, you know, jar of herbs that cost them X amount of money and they don't want to use it. Right. Um, so you want them, you know, to drink their nettles up and all the things that we know that are good for us. So, you know, we feel like it's our our duty as farmers to try and be as, you know, resourceful and as we can about being efficient so that we can keep our costs down, but also paying our staff, you know, more than a living wage because it's probably the hardest job I know working on a farm. So, yeah. And you guys yeah. have you have a decent sized team, don't you? Yeah, so, we have, I mean, you know, for the amount of acreage we have, we have a smaller team than yeah, some. Like, but. <laughs> we have like 18 people in the height um, of the season. The of the season. Um, so, you know, it's a decent, decent crew. And I mean, definitely there's this, you know, kind of what we call back hours. And there's a lot of bending over, a lot of picking, a lot of heavy yeah. lifting. I mean, how do we limit, especially as all of us on the team are getting older, <laughs> none of us are getting younger, yeah. um, how do we try to save people's bodies um, the best we can and the reality is there's not you know there's no herb equipment out there there's not you know like vegetable there's tons of carrot pickers or yeah. you know there's all this equipment available for uh 
for vegetable farmers. But when you go to look at herb harvesting or, yeah, you know, nice. root digging or a lot of these different things, there's nothing you can go buy off the shelf to put into play. So it right. takes a lot more creativity and trying to develop systems that work um, and just trying to piece equipment together to kind of get your thing done. And I think it depends too, you know, we're a farm that believes in uh, diversity creates a healthy ecosystem and environment. So we have so many different varieties of plants growing. If we were just a catnip farm, yeah, <laughs> we have that totally dialed in, you know, right. we would have just a few things of equipment. We would have the staff knows exactly what to do with catnip. It's the same every year you do this. But instead, we like to, you know, get a little bit more challenged and, <laughs> and grow a variety. But that's also why, you know, we don't have pest issues and things yeah. that farms have when they're monocropping or even just a few crops. So, um, you know, we're rotating and doing all the things we know for healthy soil so and healthy plants. So I feel like, yeah, it makes things a little bit more dynamic. <laughs> it makes sure. things more challenging, but it does. And it makes for better herbs themselves. Yeah. I mean, you know, the people who do just a mon giant monocrop of, mm -hmm. you know, peppermint and spearmint, which is really popular in this area. Yeah. They're, I'm, I'm, I would bet anything that you know, a sample of their peppermint or whatever it is, their mint that they're growing isn't going to be as potent as what you're growing because your plants have to adapt to others in their environment, which is more like what the real experience is. Right. It makes for yeah. stronger plants and it makes for stronger medicine. Yeah, we believe that too. Do you do a lot of um, adjuncting, like a lot more watering and fertilizing and stuff in and like I'm, I'm thinking, um, we had another farmer uh, on last year. I think it was Tony, yeah. and he was really in the biodynamic part of it. Mm. Yeah. And he was like, "Well, if it just grows there, then it was meant to be there." <laughs> and, <laughs> and and he was like against um, anything adding anything else to it because he felt that if you you know, coddle the plant, you wouldn't get as good good medicine. What yeah. was your there's definitely some truth to that, right? I mean, we don't do a lot of coddling on the farm, but... <laughs> <laughs> when plants are stressed, they do have a tendency to increase the constituents, it yeah. seems like. Um, so there is, you know, and in general, herbs don't require as much, uh, you know, fertilizer and things like vegetables do. They're not as... They're not as hungry. They're used to living in more of a wild form. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's that balance. Like sometimes we'll get people that go, "Oh, I want to buy yarrow, but we don't want you to water it. We don't want you to uh, to fertilize it because it, it increases the constituents." And it's like, yeah. well, we'd be happy to do that, but we're going to get one fourth of the yield if we don't water it and we don't give it anything. <laughs> yeah. So it's trying to find that balance and mm -hmm. like, you know, how do we, you know, work with the plants' inherent nature, but also not, um, you know not overdo it we're not you know uh trying to just throw stuff at it and, right. and make it grow this giant plant we want the strongest medicine possible um and you know also anything we're bringing on the farm is really um you know it's it's just not good for the environment in general we're moving moving a lot of weight of stuff and we try to avoid as many things that we're bringing into the farm as possible so what can we use already here you know yeah. meaning like fertilizers or an amendments things mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so like you actually compost everything yeah that's totally awesome that you're doing that do you have any animals on the farm too uh no just humans well, no, we have chickens 
Yeah. yeah. No one's allowed on the farm uh, out of the fields, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah. 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 Got to keep that all separate. We had okay. visions of having more animals at one point, and then we just, you know, there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we just realized that having animals uh, is a lot of work and it we is. just like, focus our energy as best as we can. And the beauty of being, um, you know, where we are is that we do actually have a little bit of downtime in the winter and the plants go dormant and we get some cold weather mm-hmm. and animals, you know, they're they never are yeah all year yeah. long all year long yeah. <laughs> all our friends who have dairies are like you are so smart <laughs> you only <have> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so yeah. you're yeah you, you grow up plants that just grow and you have no animals to take care of uh, i mean this sounds like a dream job <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's easy it's easy right right, right. so <laughs> yeah Easy, I think, as a stretch we're there. We're going to work when you come to the farm. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll take pictures. <laughs> yeah, take pictures. Always use more photos. <laughs> <clears throat> I, always, I always want to do that, but I am not the farmer um, yeah. in our house at all. Um, I'm the, the systems engineer. I'll, I'll Let's build that. Let's get that done, and then I'm out. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah, I'll put the raised beds in, but we need them all. And, you know, I mean, honestly, there's this real draw, you know, even the last few years, um, farming has been very, it's like a lot of people think that they want to be farmers. Mm -hmm. And especially when they hear, oh, I can come pick flowers, you know, I pick calendula or chamomile or whatever, you know, it just sounds like a very uh, beautiful job. Yeah, and it is, but it's also very repetitive, and um, people get out there, and it's really fun for the first fifteen twenty minutes, <laughs> and then you realize that picking calendula for four or five hours straight isn't as fun yeah. as you had imagined. Um, and I think a lot of people are kind of disillusioned by what they thought it was going to be versus reality. So. Or, yeah. or it's just that they're you know to be able to be efficient, to be able to sell things. But flowers by the pound of what people want to pay for it is a whole nother thing. So, and that's yeah. what we're kind of talking about is how do you be, how do you have like reverence for the plants, you know, love what you're doing in general, like the most of the time <laughs> yeah. and um, be able to provide plants to people that can be a price that people can afford. So it's always a fine balance. We're excited to announce that Sassy Lama Apothecary is opening here at the Real Herb Market. Leslie Shaldua's experience with healing and reshaping life through gentle and powerful means comes through in her teas, herbal remedies, and beauty care botanicals. She knows exactly what it's like to kick your heels up and give whatever ails you a little sass, herbally speaking, of course. Find them at therealherbmarket.com slash shop slash sassy llama. Yeah, I feel like thanks to COVID, we are all in it. Like herbalism is rising to a higher uh, level of notice, like more and more people who normally would not have even considered herbs for anything except maybe their spaghetti, you know, (laughs) are starting to look more seriously at, you know, herbs and plants as being a way to keep themselves healthy, keep their family healthy, protect themselves, which is increasing the noticeability and that, you know, people are noticing and paying attention. And I think what I'm seeing in the herbal community more and more is a stronger push toward let's let's do what's sustainable, what's organic, let's do that, and let's be willing to pay a little bit more for that 
So I think we're going in the right direction, but I've got to believe that it's been very hard to pay or to per to um, sell at a rate that comes even close to covering, you know, your hourly, as it were. I mean, you know, farming anything takes a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of love, a lot of care. And farming herbs, especially, you know, some of those plants, you put them in and you have to wait five years before you can dig the roots. They don't yeah. plant those. No, I agree with you. And um, that is the beauty, I think, that we've seen, you know, from from COVID and people really all of a sudden their supply chain has been rocked. Right. Yeah. And they're starting to look at like, oh, yeah, where where are those from and why can't I get them right now? And yeah. and you know, we, we are a small enough farm and and yet also have been growing enough years now where we're lucky that we can really talk with our customers and be able to see who we're a good match for, because we're not looking for someone who's looking for the cheapest chamomile. We want the person who wants our chamomile is somebody who like tastes it and smells it and sees it. And it's like, I have to have that chamomile in my tea or my product because it is so amazing. I can't find that anywhere else other than what I would grow in my own yard and dry in like a small batch. So those are kind of the people that we're looking for. And then ways that we can, um, you know, be able to fundraise and be able to make some profit so that we can also give, give herbs away or give a discount to people who can't afford that price. So we've been doing a lot of that. So that's, that's felt like a good balance. Yeah. And I mean, we're definitely seeing much more of a desire for domestically grown and regionally grown herbs than ever before. I mean, yeah. For other, we're not in competition with other herb farmers yeah. in our region or even in the United States. You know, it's very much we're we're in competition with herb farmers in India, yeah. China, northern uh, Africa, you know, mm-hmm. Eastern Europe, and um, our buyers have always been very uh, quick to tell us, "Well, I can get this out of uh, Egypt for you know five dollars. Why would I pay you ten? You know." Right. And it's like, well, for us to grow it here in Southern Oregon, that's what it costs, you know, yeah. and our labor costs are just so much more. And finally, we're starting to see a lot of those companies where every year they'd come and ask us for a bid on a crop and they'd always just say, oh, no, we can get it cheaper. Finally, some of them are going, you know, we're really trying to move, you know, more more regional. And yeah, maybe that price will work for us finally. And um, it's been a slow process, but that's where it's really challenging. It's not It's not the farmer down the road. Right. That's our competition. We're, we're competing in an international global market and um, our labor costs are just so much more than a lot of the places these herbs are coming from. And land. Oh, yeah. And land, every, yeah. Every cost. yeah everything. Well, I was going to say that, it, you know, that's a, for you, that's like a microcosm of, of that. But it's it's even in, you know, my industry is the same thing. I'm competing with, you know, yeah. people that are willing to do it at a fraction of the cost of what it takes for me to do it here. And I have same thing, right? I'll do a quote and people are like, oh, well, I can get that done in India for this. I'm like, you should go do that then because I can't even, you you know. Well, and I think that people realize there's the pros and cons of that, right? Anything that you choose. So the nice thing about working, you know, with somebody who you're closer with or you can have a relationship with, um, especially with herbs, I I believe is like you share that energetics with people. you know, I feel like that's something like people having a relationship of how, like right now we're, 
in the wintertime, we are working with all of our contract buyers. And so like they have that relationship of like when their seeds are getting planted and mm-hmm. all of that. And I feel like that makes their product all the more better in the end, because hopefully, you know, if they're caring about their product from the very start of the seed and how the farmers are farming that, then their end products going to be that much better. And they'll be able to tell that story to their clients that they sell to. Right. Down the- so. Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, there was a big thing about quantity versus quality. I think it might have been my father, but I can't remember for sure who kept pointing out to me because I was worried about price. You know, I didn't, I was, you know, in my 20s, I didn't have a lot of cash to work with at the time I was in college. Mm -hmm. And this person was like, well, do you want quantity or do you want quality? You know, Mm -hmm. it's the same five bucks you've got to work with. Yeah. You pick. And over the years, I found myself realizing that it's far better to pay the higher price and get the higher quality. Far, mm-hmm. far better. Because the experience is much richer and much more satisfying. And it reaches into the depths of your soul, as it were. <laughs> you know, whereas the quantity is just quantity. It's well, teaching our, teaching our son that. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, he wants to do things, but he said, dad, I don't have a lot of money. I want to, I want to go do this. I go to Amazon. I can go this. I'm like, well, okay, you can. Mm-hmm. But when you do that, people locally may not have the job. And, yeah. you know, he's uh, pumping gas at Fred Meyer. And I was like, do you want people to come to Fred Meyer, don't you? He's like, well, yeah. I was like, then I think you should buy locally yeah. whenever you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, for us too, like that was the kind of initial, the, you know, you really nailed it on the head is we looked at it and said, well, we can't meet the price point that's out there. So yeah. how can we differentiate ourselves? And, and the only way that we saw was by quality. We need to have a better quality product than what they're buying on the market right now. And, and that took some real intention of how we were producing the product and, and how we, you know, created this final material that we're sending out. And that's mm-hmm. how we were able to create a name for ourselves was really yeah. hitting that quality note, you know? Well, I, yeah. And I think coming back to the original is just like why and how we started doing this was for our own tea line. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty picky about what I, <laughs> what I like in my teas and how I like herbs to look. And so if it's not something that I would put in my tea blend, like it's not leaving the farm. So, um, you know, we feel good about that. Like we feel like, you know, and it's not always right for everybody because we do a lot of hand processing. Mm -hmm. And so um, we have, you know, bigger irregular pieces in our aerial tops and leaves. And some people just love that. They think that's the best thing ever. Um, It's great for loose leaf tea. And it's great because, you know, the pieces are bigger and it doesn't oxidize as fast. And you get to really have some kind of interaction with the plant material and see what it looks like. But if you're trying to stick that in a capsule, like that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Yeah. Or in a tea bag, bag, you know, like in a tea bag, it's not, you're going to have to do some processing to get it down to smaller um, size. So, you know, it's not right for everybody, but it's okay because we're, you know, we're a small farm. So it's, it's not the best fit for everybody, but yeah. So. Yeah. There's a business coach that I followed for a while named Molly Gordon. And she always talked about the just right client. And it was always about finding the client or customer that fit what you offer perfectly. Mm-hmm. And everybody else, you don't need to sell to the whole entire world. You just need to find your just right clients. Yeah. And that's what it's really about. I mean. Yeah. It's, it's hard though, right? As a, you know, whatever business you have, right? You're trying to survive, you're trying yes. to make a living. And it's like, you want to please everybody, especially at the beginning of a business where oh, you're yeah. like 
trying to make your, you know, monthly payment. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Doing. You're like, sure, I'll do it, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever it takes, exactly. man, whatever it takes. Soul and your values. You're like, I'm going to do this <laughs> over backwards to make it happen. So it's nice to get to a point where you can say, like, actually, you're not the best, you know, customer. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And you guys, you've managed to hold your earth-centered values through all of this journey of, you know, building the farm. How do you do that? I mean, how, what would be your advice to people who are starting out, whether they're farming or herbalists or in any business, how do you hold the earth-centered values during those hard decision-making points? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it, I mean, it's pretty easy for farmers, right? Because we're reminded every day, you know, our hands are in the earth. So um, that makes things easy. We have definitely, you know, having our, our mission and our values really written down as a business. And sometimes when we've had to make like growth decisions or decisions on costs and things like that, we go back to like, does this meet our values and our mission? Like, is this really what we're about or like deciding on taking a contract or something like that? Like yeah. one time we did have, we were joking, like we had this contract that pretty much all of our farm would have been in catnip. We were like, oh, <laughs> like, we paid our bills that year, but like, is that really what we're about? You know? Yeah. So um, yeah, bringing, I think having that like foundation and like remembering back and like really remembering your roots and like why you started doing what you're doing, you know? Um, yeah, you might grow and change and things shift in your business, but all in all, we try and we remind ourselves of that every once in a while. <laughs> Wait, yeah. is this what we wanted? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what do you have to say about that? I mean, I think you kind of nailed a lot of it. I think a lot of it comes down to really having a clear vision um, and a, a really clear mission statement. You know, who who are we? What are we about? And just sticking to that, you know, I mean, it's so easy to be swayed by opportunities or by, you know, just circumstances. And um, especially there's so much survival that has to go on in a business and as a farm and just in life in general. Um, but just going back to the, you know, is this what we want to be about? Well, no, that, you know, we've got to make the decisions based on our values. And um, we've had to turn down some really great opportunities that weren't really great because they didn't meet our values, you know, and on, on the surface, they looked like, hey, this could really meet our financial goals. Yeah. But does it meet the big picture, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, oftentimes it came back and the answer was no. And, you know, yeah. and sometimes we had clients that were said, you know, this is really somebody that we can align ourselves with. It's not going to start out big. We're going to find a little window that we can get in there with and then it, it evolves over time and slowly you can expand upon that but you know i think elise said a lot you know we've seen a lot of farms and even in our region where mm -hmm. uh, the earth focus wasn't there yeah. and it's more of this uh you know either whether it's monoculture or it's a, a spray mentality or or whatever it is where we're imposing our will on yeah. on the plants and on the on the earth itself which is so common in our society yeah and really kind of looked at it and said no we're going to be more geared or focused on uh allowing the earth and the plants to t tell us what's right and what's working what's not working and you know we've made some decisions where we go no, you know what maybe that wasn't the best and we had to re relook at it um but it's a it's a continual evolution yeah i love that you said that because i have seen not just farms but People in general, I mean, gardeners, herbalists, but also people who are just interested in potentially buying herbal products, 
not really thinking about the difference between imposing your will upon the environment and the plants and bowing to the needs or desires or direction of the earth and the plants. Mm -hmm. And I love that you point out that difference because it is, I mean, I think that when you're imposing your will upon something, you're also, I don't want to say stealing its energy, but you're dampening its energy. You're, you're changing its energy and you're yeah. stunting it. So if you let the plants guide you, they're going to create the space for themselves that's going to give them the most health, which in turn gives us the most health. Yeah. And, you know, we always kind of bring back that focus of what's going to be best for our grandkids and our great grandkids mm -hmm. and kind of keep that, you know, seven generations mindset. Is this, how's this going to impact our future generations? And it's really easy to think of what we need right now to survive. And it's a lot more of a conscious effort to think about, well, how's this going to impact, you know, our future generations? Are our kids going to be able to farm this land? Will our grandkids be able to farm this land? Um, or whoever comes after us, you know, because yeah. at this point, our kids don't want to do it. But <laughs> you know, um, I think that's, you know, kind of keeping that in perspective of like, you know, we can't just harvest, harvest, harvest. We also have to, to feed back. And what are yeah. we giving back, you know? Yeah, I think the the idea of thinking seven generations in the future is powerful. And I think it's something that's beginning. It, it feels like it's a seed germinating, just beginning to germinate, at least here in America. I don't yeah. think I think we're seeing in areas that just the very beginning of the soil almost breaking for it. But we're not quite there. And I think but I think we're going in the right direction for starting to do that again. I think that's something that our great, great, maybe a couple more greats, grandparents were doing um, just because that's what you did. And we haven't been for enough generations. We've caused a lot of damage worldwide. I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, the beauty is that everybody can think that way too, right? Yeah. Like not just, you know, farmers, but, you know, as, as herbalists making products, it's like, what kind of you see now more than ever, like these amazing new products that are compostable and biodegradable and yeah. recycled materials. And like, you know, I think of all those things when we're packaging yes. um, that, you know, we want to make an effort to make sure this our packaging is not sitting on the the floor of the of the earth seven generations. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like that's something I hope that our packaging's not here. Um yeah, so things like that. So Yeah, you guys have been moving in the direction of like away from plastics and all into very biodegradable, earth friendly, sustainable packaging. And that's incredible right there. I mean yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's been a big uh it's challenging. It's been a challenge yeah. for some most people are excited about it, yeah. Why would it be a challenge for some? Well, um, so we actually don't ship out in any plastic except for, you know, we have bigger contracts that are maybe like a few hundred to a thousand pounds. They go sure. out and blow them in big bags and totes, super totes. But um, in general, when you order on our website, everything comes, we basically pack it to order. So if you're going to order a um, nettle, yarrow, blue vervain, whatever you're ordering, we're going to take it out of the container. We're going to uh, process it into smaller paper bags mm -hmm. and it's going to be basically we say that this is a temporary vessel to get it to mm -hmm. our farm to your home and then you're going to put it in something that is more permanent container right. because paper is obviously not like you know it's going to be um, impermeable it's hard for yeah. dry product it's so gonna... but that all sounds beautiful and wonderful until <laughs> order five pounds of nettle <laughs> 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 pound of nettle and it comes in you know this 
giant paper bag and you're like, oh my gosh, this doesn't fit into my gallon glass jar. Right. How am I going to do this? And now I need three glass jars. And so, you know, people are having to get a little bit flexible and, you know, we're encouraging people to buy bigger, you know, bigger, maybe they do buy, you know, some kind of plastic bin, but at least they only buy one and then they keep all their paper bags inside that one bin and then take it out and fill their jars as needed. But yeah, so it's kind of been fun because people are getting out of their comfort zone of having their little favorite plastic bag of herbs. And um, it's been, yeah, we've been getting some good feedback and people are sending photos of what they're doing with their packaging and they can use the paper to mulch their gardens or light their fires or whatever they're doing. So yeah, nice, good. But it is a challenge. Yeah. And unfortunately it's not always the cheapest option to go the most sustainable route. Yeah. you know, as you know, yeah, so all our but even like the, the stuff we can't get away from plastic and, you know, uh, or plastic is like our, our large bags where we're storing stuff for long term, yeah. you know, we have to store it all through the winter, a lot of our crops and they're being sold pound by pound. Yeah. And if we kept it in paper, it would dehumidify and they would mold and all these problems. So we have big bags, but instead of buying new big bags every time, now we're steam sterilizing those. And no. we actually, that's, that's more expensive than buying new, <laughs> yeah, um, but it allows us to use the same bag many, many times, you know, cleaning it out, sterilizing it and, and putting it back into, into uh, use. So there's a lot of, you know, times where we have to make decisions that, you know, yeah, we're looking at the bottom line, but we're also looking at the triple bottom line, right? And oh, how yeah. that's having a, a long-term effect. and um, you know, that the only way to do that is to carry the costs along to the buyers. And, and again, that puts us in a spot where we're having to, you know, be more difficult to compete. Sometimes. But that's also better quality. I mean, yeah, so, but people don't see that, you know, yeah. like nobody knows like, oh, all the trouble you have to do to like steam sterilize all your totes. And- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you feel good about it. You know what you're doing. So that's good, you know. So. Yeah, that's a whole other labor component that I've. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, just the labor alone, it costs more money than it would have to buy the new bags. But yeah, yeah. So. We're not sending out stuff to the uh, dump, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too bad. There's just not a another way. But I was, I was, I saw that on your um, on your website. You had a blog post on that, and I was, I was thrilled um, because I just. I'm tired of getting things and having more garbage trash, if you will, than the thing it was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, buy a, buy a flash drive from Costco and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, right. <laughs> yeah. wrap all our herbs and send them to you in those containers. You can't have to cut open. <laughs> right. right. Apple that's in a yeah. plastic thing. Uh, it's like, yeah. Or a I, that's wrapped in plastic. It's yeah. like, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 All the, the English cucumbers, yes. every single one of those wrapped in plastic. Why? Yeah. I don't even know. Well, it's for the journey from England. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how can people find you? Um, best way is to go to our website. So oshalafarm.com. Okay. O s h a l a f a r m. Are you Actually, on? How we use them. What's that? Oshala, Oshala, little Osha. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, any any socials? <laughs> oh yeah, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, recently on Pinterest. Um, <laughs> I know there's not much there yet, but um, 
yeah, so those are the biggies. Um, Interesting, um, you know, on a, on a, on a marketing thing, because uh, that's what I do as well, Pinterest could be a really big place for you guys. That's what we hear. That's what yeah. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff is just saying, like, why Pinterest? Another thing. I was like, don't talk about it. <laughs> right. Well, I can talk about a couple things off, off air for you. But, yeah, that's that's yeah. a big one right now. Um, yeah. A lot of traffic there. So. Cool. Um, well, at the end of every show, what we like to do is we have a tag or a catchphrase. And... We've now been asking all of our guests to say it with us. So uh, what we do is, is we say it, it's called put an herb on it. So Patrick will say, as always, as and always, then the rest of us say, put, put an, an herb, herb on, on it. it. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. So as always, put, put an, an herb on it. On it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration. FDA. They're not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.